Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. There are real people on either side of these issues who are coming from maybe a perspective that you don't understand, but that doesn't mean they're not coming with goodwill. A healthy democratic society has got to involve a real chewing through of issues, like a real give and take sort of a debate where where each side is trying to convince the other so that they can, at some point, land on something in common, you know? Um, when we're just speaking past each other and just trying to be cheerleader to our own side, I just don't think we achieve anything. Wise words there from our guest today, Julie Walsh, and you're going to hear a lot more from her on today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. I'm so excited for this topic. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Welcome to the show. I'm Katie Marquette. This is Born of Wonder, and on this show, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. Happy last week of Advent. Um, We are counting down the days till Christmas. Went by crazy, crazy fast as it tends to do now. I don't know if it ever went slowly. <laughs> Every year I think I say this, but maybe when maybe when I was a kid it, it went slower because, uh, I don't know, you, you feel the anticipation so much more or something. Uh, or maybe uh, as a kid you aren't sort of overwhelmed by all the things that as an adult you have to do to make things uh, wonderful and magical for your for your children and your family. So uh, I hope I hope though that you are not feeling too overwhelmed, not too stressed, able to relax a little bit, enjoy your time with your family, uh, celebrate this beautiful season, this beautiful day, Christmas. Um, but I do know that uh, the holidays can be stressful and they can be stressful in large part because sometimes we're seeing family members or friends that we disagree with politically or faith-wise or just anything. I think that um, the holidays bring us all together, which is a beautiful thing, but that can, you know, in any sort of human situation can also cause conflict. So I wanted to address that. I wanted to just sort of, um, you know, look it in the eye and say, how can we uh, preference humanity and our love for our fellow human beings over our political convictions? I don't want to say over our faith convictions, but how can our faith convictions help us to see uh, the human person in front of us and not just a simplistic ideology? So I think that today's episode will be helpful uh, in navigating those sometimes difficult conversations. Uh, Julie has a wonderful perspective to to offer. Um, She is going to tell you a little bit about her backstory, about her professional experiences and personal experiences in the political sphere and in her faith. Um, But I will just tell you that uh, she 
she was she was raised Republican, but then she worked mostly with Democrats when she was a lobbyist for the Catholic Church, and she worked in areas of poverty, immigration, health care, which sort of complicated a lot of her views on things. Uh, she, she wrote to me that she now finds herself politically homeless, but not politically aimless. Uh, she's found purpose in encouraging people to look beyond labels, to focus more on the moral implication implications of politics than the partisan horse race could not agree more so in this in this uh episode you'll hear us discuss uh all about um you know just how to how 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 do we talk about politics how do we engage with politics how do we talk about difficult issues uh both julie and i share some of our personal views uh and uh sort of the changes that we've experienced and how that has shaped the way we interact with other people of, of differing views um i just want to say also that anyone of any any faith no faith any political ideology anything like that is you know, welcome on this podcast. I hope there are people of many different views and backgrounds and life experiences listening. And I think that that is, uh, you know, that that's also something that we wanted to emphasize is that we can't be afraid to disagree. Uh, and we, we can't be afraid to talk about these things. So I hope that as we approach uh, Christmas and the holiday season, and just as we continue to navigate, you know, before you know, it will be in an election year. Uh, you know, how do we keep humanity at the at the top of our list over all of sort of these these uh, secondary ide- ideologies when it comes to politics. So that will be today's conversation. I don't need to say anything more about it. It's a long it's a long chat. So sit back, enjoy while you're I don't know while you're wrapping your Christmas presents or something. <laughs> you can have this on in the background. Um, you know, in between festive carols and things like that, of course. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, I still have to wrap everything and do all the Christmas things. Um, you know, I mean, the tree is up, everything is cozy. We, we, we made a fire last night, just a short lived one that Jojo really enjoyed seeing. She called it a candle, which, you know, makes sense. So it's a big candle, she said. So, um, I do love this cozy time of year and it's going to get very, very, very cold over Christmas. So, Hope everybody stays warm and safe. I wish you a beautiful uh, end to Advent and a start to Christmas season. Remember, like the 12 plus days of Christmas are still coming. So you don't have to take down those decorations. Um, I don't know if I'm going to just leave them up and then the new baby will be born and then, you know, it'll still be cozy. But then will that stress me out to still have them up? I I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But Um, this is going to be the second to last episode of this season, and before I go on my maternity leave, uh, I'll take off the week between Christmas and New Year's, but then I will come out with a sort of wrap-up episode. I'm going to share some of the things, um, takeaways from the podcast from, uh, you know, just the past year or so, what I've learned, what I'm hoping to do, and just sort of some life things that I want to share with you, so that will be, uh, the last episode Uh, and that will be in, you know, two weeks. So I'll come out with that. But in the meantime, I wish you very happy holidays. You can always contact me at bornofwonder.com, support the podcast on Patreon. Think of it as a tip jar, $2 a month, really helpful, really appreciated. So you can enjoy the conversation here with Julie. And then if you wait till the end, you're going to hear some lovely Christmas carols, two of our favorites, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and Greensleeves, What Child Is This?, uh, played by my husband, Chris, on the guitar. So you can enjoy that at the end of the episode. 
Thank you so much for listening and enjoy this chat with Julie Walsh. So I'm so thrilled that uh, Julie has taken the time amidst what sounds like sort of a uh, catastrophic time in her family. (laughs) She's had every illness under the sun, you know, just kids going down left and right, but they did get some new kittens recently. So at least there's some good things going on, but she made the time amidst all this chaos to come in the podcast. So thank you, Julie, so much for being here. Sure thing. And thankfully, they were all minor catastrophes as to catastrophe. They just all happened together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when it's a deluge, you know, it feels like each one could yeah, be oh, the yeah, end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there have been tears. I will deny. Will not deny it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've uh, I've followed Julie on Instagram for a little while now, and I've always really enjoyed um, what she shares about politics and the news. Always shares really interesting podcast episodes and things like that. And she just has a really really interesting perspective, I think, to offer about how to engage in often fraught conversations around politics. But I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit for those of you who are not familiar with her. Julie, would you just like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, so I'm Julia Varner-Walsh, and I live in Maryland, like you do. And I have five children and a husband, and I stay home full-time with my kids. They range in age from 12 to 5 four are in school full-time and one is in preschool so I'm still very much in it as far as like having young kids at home and um, even though they're mostly in school they're not entirely in school and there's a big difference (laughs) Um, and I used to before I had kids I was a lobbyist for the Catholic bishops of the state of Maryland So I represented the church in Annapolis to the state legislature and the governor's offices um, on social concerns issues. So I worked on health care, immigration, poverty-related issues, uh, a lot of housing-related issues. Um, And before that, I worked for the federal government. And so I have, like, some perspective on the government and on legislatures, I was a political science major, so I've very much sort of like um, educationally and professionally been in that world. I also grew up in a political family, so I've kind of seen how participating in politics can impact the real people who are involved in it, you know? So at any rate, I grew up around politics, I studied politics, I worked in politics, and now I'm a stay-at-home mom who is still super interested in politics. So I consume more news, especially political news, than the average person, I'm sure. And it's just part of who I am. I really can't go without it. I know a lot of people, politics really stresses them out, and they just turn it all off and decide they can't deal with it. But I am not made that way. I I just cannot go without it. Um, And as difficult as it is, I just feel drawn to it and called to talk about it. And um, I enjoy sharing things with others. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. Lately, I have been sharing a lot of podcast and news article recommendations. I am a huge consumer of podcasts. It's how I get through a lot of my daily chores at home. And I enjoy sharing interesting things that I've learned with the people who follow me. I also have 
a blog and podcast that receive very little attention from me these days. Um, but if you want to go back and read or listen to older things, you're more than, more than welcome to. Um, my blog is called These Walls, and my podcast is called More Than Politics. So in both cases, I just have done little lately because I've been consumed with home and have sort of hit some stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks creatively. So that's where I am at the moment. Well, there's, there's seasons for everything. I know there's an ebb and flow, especially to creative projects, but I would really encourage people to go back through your archive um, for your podcast because sort of the mission of your podcast is a lot of what I want to talk with you about today, which is just sort of um, opening up a conversation about difficult topics and um, just having sort of this open-minded, uh, I guess, more charitable view uh, of of issues that often really, really divide people and just sort of invite people to talk them through. I really admire that that was uh, sort of the mission of what you were trying to do, and I really enjoyed many of your episodes, one of which was your introductory episode, which was just sort of your backstory, which is very, very interesting and, uh, you know, could take up an entire podcast episode. So if you would like to hear the full story of uh, Julie's sort of political evolution, you can go back to the first episode of her podcast, uh, More Than Politics. But could you just give sort of the, the uh, elevator pitch of uh, what you, how you've sort of evolved uh, politically over the years? I know you mentioned you were from a very politically active family, and that really shaped your early experiences of politics, but um, you've sort of gone a different direction, but then kind of come back, you, you know, it's a, it, it sort of sounds like it's an evolving uh, situation for you. Right. So, um, first of all, I'm from Maryland, which is very liberal. <laughs> so I always had a lot of friends and teachers and people that I was um, talking with on these things who were very liberal. But my family was very conservative. And they were politically active. And so most of the politicians I knew were Republicans. And most of the um, the arguments and the debates I heard were definitely on the conservative side. So just even from when I was a kid, I already had those two things in play. Like, we're Republican. It's part of who we are. But I also knew a ton of people who had different opinions, which I think is helpful. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to Mount St. Mary's, which is a co Catholic college, and I started to understand more about the church's teaching on a lot of issues that that we would consider political. And um, it just sort of opened my eyes to some new perspectives. Like I changed my position on the death, the death penalty in college. I had been very pro um, capital punishment. And then I just sort of had a, a moment of conscience when I was in college where I just decided I could no longer support it. So, and then, um, when I worked for the bishops, I was all of a sudden tasked with these social concerns issues, which for the most part fall on the democratic side of things. So, Suddenly, I was working with a bunch of social workers and um, representatives from other faith groups and people who helped welfare recipients and people who needed energy assistance and, you know, all sorts of people who were like 
in the trenches helping the people in need, people who worked with immigrants. Um, and so it just gave me a whole set of new perspectives. And it was, you know, it was different from like the sort of more academic discussion with someone who disagrees you. It's like, you know, hearing stories of people in need and how programs work and how they help or don't help and that kind of thing. So um, it was very interesting because I knew some of the legislators personally, but I knew the Republican ones. And here I was <laughs> lobbying on these really democratic issues and it was disconcerting for some of them. It was interesting. Um, but I, I mean, I, I went into it wholeheartedly because I always felt that my moral beliefs at their core were more important than any particular political label. And, um, and so I, I just pushed forward. And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so it was, again, my whole life, my whole formative life from childhood through school, through my, the beginning of my work years, they just were always this almost clash of two sides. Yet, I also got to know people on both sides. And so it was also a very humanizing experience. So that's where I came from. And then when I began to stay home with my kids, I started doing some writing to, you know, do something with my mind. And um, I was always trying to make that point that there are real people on either side of these issues who are coming from maybe a perspective that you don't understand, but that doesn't mean they're not coming with goodwill, you know? And so I, for the most part, that's been my running theme is that um, there are people of goodwill on both sides of difficult issues. And it's important to recognize that when we're having debates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but just that the sort of flatness of conversations in online realms can certainly sort of take that really essential human element out and uh, make us forget those things. Absolutely. I think another thing is that so many of us here in the United States have literally like divided ourselves geographically too. You know, we've sort of sequestered ourselves into like-minded communities, um, both in like a town sake, but also by churches, by community organizations. So I think if I were a really liberal person growing up in Maryland, I would not have had the same experience. It was because I was a conservative person growing up in a liberal state that I was always forced to sort of reckon with the idea that the people who disagreed with me were real fleshed out people, you know? And I think if I were, if I had grown up in a more conservative state, that would have been a harder lesson. And I think if I had been more liberal growing up in Maryland, that would have been a harder lesson. So I feel very fortunate that I have always had this mixed situation. And I think it's important for people to pay attention to their own situations and to consider, well, how many people do I really interact with who disagree with me? Because if I'm not interacting with a lot of people who disagree with me, then maybe I don't have an accurate idea of what they're really like, you know? Right. And that's so easy to fall into because we just, you know, we naturally, of course, will probably hang out with mostly people who agree with us, have similar values and beliefs. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm from Maryland, too, as you know, and uh, my family was not like super political. My parents were sort of vaguely conservative, um, but 
uh, we weren't like a religious family or anything. So it was just sort of like in the background. I remember my mom was good friends with Bob Ehrlich. Oh, neat. And, uh, <laughs> former governor, and she for those gave, who don't know. Form, former governor Bob Ehrlich. <laughs> she was good friends with him. And she like gave me and my sister like some signed uh like you know photo of him and we we were very excited about this and we like took it to school and everybody was like who's that (laughs) and i'm like it's the governor um but uh yeah so i think also maybe for young people now um politics seems a lot more central to their experiences or a lot more um i don't know a lot more divisive i mean i wasn't you know in college that long ago um 10 years, you know, long enough. But I mean, like, it's not been that long. But when I was in college, it was not I don't think if you walked around saying you were Republican or Democrat, it would automatically decide your friend group or something like that. But I think it might now. Uh, These like political labels seem to really be defining people in social ways that I think maybe were not true. Do do you think that? Do you find that as well? Absolutely. I think the experience of the past several years, um, of politics, six years or so of politics, has just turned up the dial on everything. And um, I mean, the number of people that you see online posting, well, if you if you don't think this way, unfriend me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like that's, you're dead to right, me, just like get exactly. out. Yeah, I mean, it's right. just that's just one example of people behaving that way. And I think a lot of people are, especially young people, maybe who um, I mean, young people can have great friendships, but maybe they don't have the like the the long view um, recognition of just how important friendship is, and mm-hmm. it might feel a little easier to brush it aside mm-hmm. and to say, "Well, if you don't fit into this set of standards, then you don't qualify to be my friend," you know. Right. And I do think social media also has a lot of virtue signaling behind it. A lot of like, you know, uh, if you don't post something on a certain topic or something, you must not care about it. Or, you know, so I just wonder how sometimes I see people post things. I wonder how, you know, quote unquote, political they actually are, or if they're just trying to sort of signal to the right people that they have the right opinion on this issue. Um I don't really see too much actual engagement across about you know like it doesn't seem like they're like hey this is a really crazy issue and I'm have I'm passionate about it it's more like I've checked the box of the correct opinion on this issue and I want everyone to be aware of that um, but yeah. yeah I mean I'm just I'm very aware of those things because I you know because I did convert to Catholicism had like a very huge like worldview change i mean like my life would be like completely unrecognizable like you know when i was like 24 or something like that and it it was i mean it was a long evolution it makes sense like you know i was a religion major i was always very interested in religion um but it was very theoretical and i had um i I was definitely very um, socially liberal, for sure. I mean, I was pro-choice, all kinds of things like that. Um, But never very passionately, just sort of that was just who I was surrounded by. And that was my view. That was the expectation. That was the expectation. And, you know, if you're like a modern, a modern working woman out there, that's your like, that's your view. And that's what most people I know is was their view. Um, but that's just like one example, but 
you know, many, many things I changed my mind on, like deep, deeply held convictions I changed my mind on. And so I have a lot of sympathy and complex views about, uh, you know, people who I know and love who still hold the views I used to hold or hold much more radical views in my own family um, mm -hmm. and things like that. And it's so it's just very hard for me to dismiss people uh, the way I see that happening so frequently. Um, I mean, it's just like you can just hear like, oh, well, the Republicans are plot. You know, they always sound like they're like they're plotting this like takeover where I'm like, maybe they just believe that. Like, maybe that's just like there's not like a <laughs> like a, a underground, you know, plan to like take over the country and vice versa with the Democrats and a lot of these very contentious issues around uh, gender and sexuality and other things like that. I think that most parents want the best for their kids and that's what they're trying to do. Uh, and then we can all, we can disagree and have debates about what the best is. But I think that most people, like you were saying earlier, hold their beliefs in good faith. And that is not the way it seems to be talked about. Yeah, I think it's really important it's really hard, I think, for people to um, to separate motivation from truth. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but a lot of people, because we have this idea these days that we each can like have our own idea of what's true, then we also have this idea. Well, then, if if I have an opinion, then it cannot be questioned. I have my right to my opinion, and there must be truth to it. Um, and so when we run up against someone whose opinion we disagree with, we often think, well, if they had a good motivation, they couldn't have that opinion, you know? But, but that's because a lot of times, I think in our society, we don't recognize that like, People are wrong a lot of times. <laughs> like, just because someone is genuine in their feeling doesn't mean they're right, you know? And so I, we confuse those two. I think that, I guess I think the reverse. I think that most people are motivated by the right things. Most people are functioning out of goodwill. But that doesn't mean they're right. <laughs> and, yeah, and... And I think it's important to recognize that from people because it's going to affect how you engage with them. It's also going to affect the arguments you make. I think that so many people, when they're they're engaged in political debate, they are not doing it to convince. They are doing it to demonstrate. They're doing it to to, to speak to their own side. It's like a it's like a group marker, you know. It's like I'm going to say this thing so that everybody who agrees with me can applaud instead of saying something in order to be convincing to people you disagree with. And I think if we're going to get anywhere as a society, we need to be like convincing people. Like if we think people are wrong, then we need to try to convince them of the right way, you know? Otherwise, otherwise you're just speaking past each other. I mean, there's, you know, a healthy democratic society has got to involve a real chewing through of issues like a real give and take sort of a debate where where each side is trying to convince the other so that they can at some point land on something in common you know 
um, when we're just speaking past each other and just trying to be cheerleader to our own side, I just don't think we achieve anything. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I should be clear. I mean, I absolutely believe in capital T truth. um, And I want people to find that. And I want people to understand that that does exist. And I believe in right and wrong and good and evil and all those things. But it it's very hard to lead people in that direction. I And again, I know from my own experience, if people had started talking to me and like accusing me of being a bad person, and that was why I held my views, you know, I would just shut down. I mean, you know, or that I'm dumb or, you know, just if you just start dismissing people that they're, they're dumb, they have bad motivations, they hate you know, they hate women, they hate children, they hate, this is why they believe what they believe. If you, if you lead with that, I mean, who's going to listen to you? Um, I mean, it's just a human response. Of course, you're going to shut down. Um, And uh, I think most people who listen to this know that I have an MA in conflict resolution. And like, there's something right, like you go pursue the degree that like you need the most. And like, so I (laughs) had, there were definitely times in my life that I was extremely (laughs) conflict uh, prone. Um, So like, I love debates. um, And I've been mean in debates before. And I just know how ineffective that is, and how dehumanizing that is. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about this now, um, you know, is like the holidays sometimes bring people together who do have different views, whether it's in your own family or friends or long distance. It just sort of brings people um, together who maybe you wouldn't see on a regular basis. And I think a lot of people have trouble navigating those conversations. And I know when we chatted about this a little bit before, we both were kind of like, well, sometimes you just don't talk about right. it. <laughs> that can, that, like, that is the way to, you know, I mean, maybe Christmas dinner is not the time to do it. But um, do you have any thoughts about just as we try to navigate uh, with with charity and, and, you know, just these difficult conversations while sort of retaining our, our our deeply held convictions about things. Yes, I think, I think it's important first and foremost, to like, love and treasure whichever family member you're with, like, to be grateful to be with them, to want to like soak in the moment and enjoy being with them, and to value that above an argument. (laughs) Um, And then also, secondly, to identify who you can talk these things through with and who you cannot because you're going to have some family members who maybe you disagree with but you're sort of on the same wavelength as far as the idea of debate and you can have a great conversation with somebody who you have a lot of disagreements with if you both are sort of willing to engage on the same level to like give and take to be kind to one another, you know, and I definitely have some family members who I disagree with, but I would love to just sit down and talk some of these things through with because it's interesting to learn more about their perspective and their experiences. And, um, and I just, I enjoy that. And I know that I trust them to have a respectful, productive conversation with. There are other people where it is just best not to get into it. (laughs) And you're going to know your family best and which people are which and which 
situations are which, <laughs> um, which circumstances are conducive to a good conversation about these things and which ones are not. So I just, I don't know, I feel, I think some people are like, you need to go home and talk to all your family about these issues. <laughs> and is it important to be talking about the stuff that we converse about online? Is it important to also talk about it in real life? Yes. But that does not mean it's fitting for every situation and every person. And we should each have the, um, the prudence <laughs> to decide where and when and with whom, I think. And, and remember, at the end of the day, regardless of whether you think the person is open to talking or, you know, worth talking to about something, um, you've got to remember that they're your family first and foremost, and you have to love them first. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to get the conversation right anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there are, of course, so many conversations that we can have that have nothing to do with contentious issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could all just, we can talk about like a movie we saw or, you know, a good book or, you know, music, something, you know, and I think people are, you know, and then when maybe a more difficult conversation does come up, you know, you're much more inclined to be open and relaxed with somebody who you know, like values you as a human being beyond your political or or faith convictions or anything like that, but who just, you know, sees you as a fellow person. And that is certainly lost online. Um, just, you know, you would never know that we were talking about other people sometimes. I mean, it's just like the, it just absolutely shocks me sometimes just, um the callousness with with which people will dismiss people of other political or religious beliefs um and the, you know we just we just need to give uh give people more credit i mean all of us are sort of like a complex mix of experiences and everything like we hold beliefs for certain reasons we've come to them for certain reasons and other people have similar stories about why they you know got to where they are and uh you know maybe it would be more beneficial to say okay like i uh, like they i disagree sort of with where you've come to but you know what brought you there like what and a lot of times people are reacting out of some deep vulnerability or hurt or uh something like that and that's also something to remember in these debates which i've forgotten before in the past because i just get very amped up on sort of debating the issue is that these are very personal things to people um you know politics is politics but it's like in um in uh you've got mail you know where it's like it's not personal it's business it's like but it, she's like well it's personal to me <laughs> and it's that's just like how how politics are too it's like it is personal mm -hmm. because these are you know it comes down to deeply deeply held uh views on very very important issues and um maybe that is why uh things have gotten so contentious is because we aren't really debating like a different fiscal policy or sort of view of how best to address certain social services but we're actually saying i have a different reality <laughs> than you do and that can be a hard bridge yeah. to cross and we're often debating like a 2d version of the person and not the fully fleshed out one i mean sometimes i've seen people debating like say i you know when i was doing a lot more blog posts i'd put something up there and people would start debating in the comment boxes and sometimes i would know both of them who did not know each other and i would sometimes <laughs> 
take to the to the private messages to say, wait, please, before you attack this person anymore, you have to know this thing about them, you know? And um, because that kind of thing is, is often the case. Like you don't know, you don't know what the other person is going through and you don't know that this person who is super um, upset about abortion has just had a miscarriage. Or you don't know that this person who is um, super upset about abortion potentially being taken away had a very scary ectopic pregnancy and they're worried about having another one and what this law might mean. So on both sides, there are really valid things to be debating and nuances of legislation and all those things. They're very important. Um, but you have to realize that there's a real person with pain in front of you and you have to be um, sensitive to that when you're talking to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think almost everybody on the more contentious issues, you know, abortion comes up a lot just because it is so such a divisive issue um, is like everybody's come. What is more personal than, you know, uh, children and the start of life and, you know, um, becoming a parent. Um, those are the most personal things. And so I think everybody has, you know, some more than others from personal experience. But I mean, this is a very, um, this is a difficult thing for people to talk about on a personal level. And when people just sort of make dis very dismissive statements, you have no idea that person's backstory. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how they came to those beliefs. And so again, just sort of what I was saying earlier, I think just leading with the idea of uh, that, that th this is a full, fully formed person, uh, you know, not just like their opinion that you, you know, have an X through that's the wrong opinion or something. Right. Um, and they're certainly not going to change their mind by you accusing them of, you know, being, you know, a terrible person. So I think that uh, that's the first place, the first thing to remember. Um, and especially, of course, when we're talking to our own family and friends, but I actually find it harder with the people that I, you know, because you're more comfortable with people you're close to. I'm almost, it's always easier for me to be kinder to strangers <laughs> uh, sometimes <laughs> than my own family um, because, it, because you care more too, you know, it's it, the, the stakes are higher um, for members of your own family and things like that. But um, I guess sort of also what we talked about too is, you know, amidst all this, it can seem very, you know, very bleak out there. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I do get demoralized when reading the news. Sometimes I do have to, um, I do have to exercise some caution sometimes about how I consume it and when I consume it. And there are certain people, um, you know, you know, certain uh, personalities, I guess, who I would follow, who I agree with them. But after I listened to them for a while, I started feeling like a bad person <laughs> in a way because they were so dismissive of these other people right. that I also disagree with. And there was nothing they said I that I thought was wrong, but it was a tone issue. Um, and I think it did have bad effects on other areas of my life. Um, and I know you've had some experiences like that. You can't just sit there and listen to a, you know, an, a, this podcast all day and then like expect it not to have an effect on how you see people in your own life. Um, mm -hmm. Have you had that experience as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. On the on the one side of it, um, so much of the news, of course, is just so heavy. <laughs> I mean, the political news is so frustrating and 
so demoralizing at times. And then I pay attention to a lot of international news and, you know, Ukraine, North Korea, China, I mean, floods in Pakistan. And I mean, you could just go down the list. There's so many things that when you absorb them all in just becomes so heavy and it gets to you. So definitely there are times when I do know I just need to put it aside or I know today I'm not in a place where I can focus on this particular story. Or I know that this one podcast goes really deep and hard into things and today I just cannot do that. So I definitely have those moments. Um, I also, like you said, I do um, listen to some where I agree with the person on almost everything um, I like a lot of what they have to say, but I can't stomach their their um, their style all the time. And so again, sometimes I will I will it'll depend on which guest they're hosting that day and whether I think they're gonna be a little calmer or a little more aggressive, you know <laughs> so I sort of I sort of temper it, you know. So at any rate, yes, yes I experience yeah. all that and yes, I do back off. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never back off entirely, and I generally find another replacement sort of in the same, uh, in the same kind of, you know, same same type of of news. I don't know. It's just it's a it's a quirk for me. I do like on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I try not to listen so much to the heavy political news. I listen to a lot of more like historical podcasts on the weekend as my as my break. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you get so wrapped up in it and then you have to take a step back and you have to realize I am living a real fleshed out life too. And I have to be here for it. I have children underfoot. I have a spouse. I have friends here in real life and I have to be able to be a good mother and wife and friend to them too. And I can't do that if I am so wrapped up in everything else that's going on in the world. So there's a balance. (laughs) As in with everything, there's a balance. I think it is good to be aware and engaged. And especially as a parent, actually, I talk about a lot of these things with my kids and they make for the most fascinating conversations. They ask great questions. And I treasure that I'm able to talk about these things with my kids. Um, But at the same time, I have to Mm -hmm. protect myself enough to function. (laughs) Because if I am so plowed under by everything else that's happening that I'm useless to my family, then that's not worth it. (laughs) It's not worth it. Right. And I think that the the famous Mother Teresa quote, you know, change the world, go home and love your family. I think that where that's coming from is that if your your first primary goal and focus in life is not, yes, your friends and family and real life in front of you, if you are not loving those people well, you are not going to be able to engage well with the outside world. It doesn't mean go hide away with your family and never, you know, engage with the outside world or these very important issues. But it says, you know, have your priorities straight, because if you haven't gotten that sorted out, uh, you're not going to sort any of these other much bigger complex issues uh, out either. So um, yeah, I think that having a healthy family relationship is 
other than your relationship with God, is literally the most important thing you can do with your entire life. <laughs> like, if you can't do anything mm-hmm. else, <laughs> have a healthy relationship yeah. with your family members and teach your kids to have healthy relationships. And I, I, that's exactly how I feel about that quote. I feel like a lot of people interpret it as an excuse to shut off the world. And I do not think it is meant to be that. I think it's meant to emphasize the vital importance of nurturing a loving, healthy family. And doing that will give you and your family members what you need to live your lives and to go out into the world. Yeah, I feel like, especially in Catholic circles, there's so much focus on this idea of the family being, you know, this like the domestic church, this the family being the most sacred, um, elemental unit of society. And that if something is threatening the family, it's really threatening society as a whole. I don't disagree with it at all. I think it's very wise. But the way I see it is that um, the, the family, yes, it is the most important, basic part of society that we will ever be part of. And if we don't treat it right, if we do not love well the people who we were given to and who were given to us, then we cause problems that ripple outward and outward and outward. I feel like there's so much focus on how the family is attacked and maybe not enough focus on how we can make our families really beautiful and life-giving and have that life spill outward to the people around us. Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, And I will say, you know, as a Catholic convert, it was not Ultimately, it was not sort of debates over issues that sort of convinced me, (laughs) but it was um, really good friendships, um, really kind people uh, who invited me into beautiful life experiences that I could then participate in, you know, not caring where I was coming from, you know, I mean, I never felt any sense of judgment from any of them. And uh, I was just sort of invited into this uh, beautiful world and that I could participate in as I wanted to. Uh, Because, I mean, I had engaged with a lot of the theological arguments as a student, so I was aware of them, um, but that didn't, uh, that doesn't really touch people's hearts. Um, Ultimately, it became very important to me uh, as I sort of, you know, developed and understood why I believed what I believed. But I think that people, you need to lead with, sort of compassion and beauty and things like that. And Bishop Barron always talks about that lead with lead with beauty, um, you know, not with a argument. There was a there was a great um, homily that uh, that that Timothy Dolan gave, I'll, I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. But he talked about how um, the church is often talking about what we are against, but we don't talk about enough what we're for, you know, so we're always sort of putting things in in negative ways, you know, we're against this, we're against that, we're against, you know, we're always we're on the defensive, when really the church is much more effective when you're when you're out there saying, you know, well, I'm for, you know, um, for I'm for love, I'm for, you know, beautiful families, I'm for like supporting the vulnerable, I'm here for, you know, like the, the things that we are for are very admirable things and I think leading with that conviction that we are for you know goodness truth beauty all those things 
is much more compelling to people and much more accurate than just sort of taking this defensive approach all the time. I'm against this. I'm against that. And sort of just feeling like society, you know, there's this feeling with Catholics, but I think with a lot of conservatives in general, too, um, that you're just being attacked all the time. And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times, it's just like a sort of very sort of prickly posture to be in. And I think it's alienating to people. Um, so I think that, you know, raising your kids to have, you know, yes, we are, we're, we're for these things, we're for these good things in the world, and you are equipped to go out and engage with people about them. It's not something to be afraid of. Right. And here and here's why. Here's the bigger picture. I'm I am really big on context. And um, I try to make that point with my kids, too. Like I tell my kids, you can you can always ask more questions, you know, about the faith, about uh, an issue that you're hearing me talk about or that you're hearing on the news. You know, can always ask more questions. And um, I think it's just inherently good to try to understand things better and to try to get a better context for what's happening. These things are coming out of nothing. Like there's always sort of, there's a big backstory of history and uh, current events, all sorts of things that we sort of have to place these things within um, to be engaged with. Uh, you mentioned in your podcast at one point, I think it was an interview you were doing, but that, you know, also these labels of Republican, Democrat, we get so attached to them. But I mean, the values of the Democratic Party were very different 100 years ago. I mean, the modern Republican Party was the, you know, everybody likes to bring up was the party of Lincoln. And so, like, it's, it's a, uh, like, but Lincoln would not recognize today's Republican Party as his party. So, I mean, these these like labels that we're so eager to throw on ourselves are so transient. So, why do we get so hung up on them? I don't know. <laughs> I think that <laughs> Let's we let it people, go. <laughs> we, we we like to be part of groups, and we have a very hard time letting go of those groups. And when the groups are shifting, we are disconcerted. We don't know. And we, we want to hold on for dear life. But um, yeah, I mean, for our generation, the idea of Republican and conservative have always been intertwined. But it was not that way before. I mean, if you think about when the Republican Party first came up, they they were definitely not the conservatives. They were the progressives. They were the anti-slavery party. They wanted to change the system. They were not conservative. <laughs> and um, the Democrats were trying to conserve the system as it was. The Republicans were fighting against it. They were wanted to progress over the and that that went on for a good long time for all of the 19th century. And then um, and then things changed. And, you know, as as the party moved through different parts of the country and business interests became more important, you know, it shifted. Um, and then it really made the big switch in the 60s during the civil rights movement, when the um, Democrats were very divided between their more liberal northern wing and their more conservative southern wing. And it ultimately led to a bunch of the, you know, a bunch of the Democratic Party, the Southern Democrats, who are more conservative, essentially jumping ship uh, with Reagan and, and becoming the Reagan Democrats. Um, so at any rate, it's it has changed over time. Now we think of the Republicans as conservative and the Democrats as liberal. 
Um, but it's kind of shifting again, because now you have a lot of Republicans who want to change the system, shake things up. And a lot of the Democrats who are trying to preserve the norms of the system as we've known it. And I mean, of course, when you're talking about social issues, that's not the case. But when you're talking about governmental issues, that's very much the case. So it's kind of all in flux right now. And, um, just because the Republican Party stands for something doesn't mean it's the conservative position. <laughs> um, it's just things are changing. We'll see where they end up in another 20 years. But, um, you know, and, and at any rate, to take a step away from that, I mean, we, a lot of us who grow up around politics, we're sort of trained to think of our descriptor as like a positive so like for a lot of people who grew up Republican, just putting the, the adjective conservative in something in front of something makes you think it's good. Like, oh, conservative equals good. Therefore, if this is the conservative position, it's the right one. Or if you're coming from the liberal side, you're going to identify with that adjective. And if something is called liberal or progressive, you're going to think it's good. Well, at the end of the day, we need to be sort of thinking grown-ups who can evaluate an issue and make our own choice as to what we think the right answer is and not just simply default to the one with the label that we grew up with you know because at, especially as the parties change as everything's in flux your party might go for something that you think is wrong <laughs> And you don't have to go along with it. There is no rule that says because you have an R on your voter registration card that you have to agree with everything that the Republican Party does. <laughs> and I don't know, this this whole idea that, well, if my party does it, then it's okay. It's just, it baffles me. Because I am a thinking, feeling adult, and I get to make my own decisions. <laughs> and no, like, congressional campaign office in Washington gets to tell me what to think, you know? So I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are so invested in being on the side that they perceive is on balance right, that they are just like giving up their right and opportunity to think through a bunch of things. And I think that's such a pity. Like, we are complicated people. We are not two-dimensional. We get to think through every issue that comes our way, and we are not obliged to take a position based on whether we have an R or a D on our voter registration card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a good, um, you know, a good positive way to sort of end our conversation, which is to just say, like, you're a human being, first of all, you're not a Republican or a Democrat or an atheist or a religious person or, you know, you are a human being who has a right to think through everything, has a right to have contradictory opinions, has a right to change your mind. And I think uh, right now, the way it's talked about in the public sphere, I think some people would say you don't have that right, or they don't want you to, um, or want to convince you that you don't have it anymore. That if you, you know, if you're on this side on one issue, then you're on that side for every issue. And that's just not the case. So, um, 
just as we as we wrap up, uh, is there? I know that you've sort of. Uh, hopefully, you're going to get back into podcasting. Um, hopefully, crossing our fingers at some point. And um, I think you've you've sort of thought about maybe sort of changing the direction a little bit, or just. I know you're sort of thinking through these things about how do we engage with these topics in um, in in a positive way, I guess, in, in a way that is uh, representative of those complex realities about being a human being. Um, do you want to share anything about your sort of your creative thoughts going forward? <laughs> yeah, I'm at sort of a creative um, wall, I think, or stumbling block or something. And part of it is that I, to me, like my perspective on politics is like intimately wrapped up in my faith. They cannot be separated. And I think that is so hard for a lot of people to accept and understand. And I have a hard time conveying it to people. But I I want to talk about that a little bit more in my podcast. But I I feel like if I care about living a moral life in line with my faith, then then that behavior has to extend through my whole life. It is not good enough to just say, um, yes, here's what I believe when I go to church on Sunday. Or here's what I, you know, believe in this distinct set of people. It has to inform how I behave toward others. It has to inform how I vote, how I give my money, how I um, talk about political issues. And I don't just mean like where I fall on the issue, but how I do the talking. Um, am I am I speaking to people kindly? Am I speaking in love? Am I recognizing the unique, irreplaceable person in front of me who's made in the image and likeness of God? And by in front of me, I don't just mean the person I'm debating with online. I also mean the politician that I can't stand, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I think it's just, um, I've, I've done a lot of thinking on that on that count, am I really living out my faith in how I am approaching this thing that is so important to me and that really is so important to our society? And how do I encourage other people to do that too? To say, if you believe, then how are you carrying that out? So um, several months ago, I was really struck by... um, by the reading, and I cannot remember where it comes from, but the one you often hear about here at weddings, the um, the one on love. Oh goodness! Like if I um, have not, uh, like love is uh, I'm, a, I'm a clashing symbol, or or the, or the love is patient, yeah. love is kind. <laughs> yes, one? yes, yes, yes. Love is patient, love is kind. Right, yeah. that that yes. one. <laughs> um, and I was really struck um, as I was hearing that reading several months ago in thinking, okay, if I am meant to be loving in how I am going through these political issues, am I doing it in those ways? Am I mm. being kind? You know, am I, <laughs> am right. I being patient? Um, am I, am I approaching 
my foes? Like, am I uh, am I a clanging symbol or am I, you know? Right, right. Because um, we think about that, of course, like at a wedding, you know, with your spouse right. or that. You know, but it's like, but that is, you know, St. Paul was talking about loving everyone that way. Right. You know, how with are we that being loving in the world? Patience. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot harder. That's a h- lot harder to live out. Oh, goodness, yes. It just made me, and I, I need to go through and write this out one of these days, but it just made me think about, um, especially like the people, um, the people who, who are, of, you know, who, who have a strong faith, who speak publicly on these issues. It just kind of made me think how what they say would line up with exactly what was written in that reading, you know, like, and and how how we would each evaluate our own behavior on that measure. Because I think for most of us, if you put that up, and you put it against how you, how you behave on these issues, we'd all have some reckoning to do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, big time, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where I am recently. And it's sort of a tricky place to be. But it's also really fruitful place to be and um yeah i look i look forward to sharing more about it yeah well we will we'll all follow along but i think that actually being uncomfortable in these spaces is a good sign like i think if you start feeling a little too uh self-congratulatory in your opinions or your thoughts on these i think that's always the time when you want to take a step back so probably feeling a little uncomfortable, feeling not quite at home with Democrats or Republicans or anything like that is actually, and I know a lot of people feel that way. So I think if you do, it's actually a good thing because it means you're thinking, it means you're engaged, it means you're, um, you know, self uh, evaluating about these things. So uh, we can all be, you know, just embrace a, a little bit more of the of the uncomfortable nature of all this but i do always like to ask people if they have a recommendation um for for our listeners book music anything like that um do you have anything you'd like to share i'm actually going to recommend the economist (laughs) so i like the economist a lot yeah i was gifted a subscription to the economist when i was like in college like coming out of college and I have been subscribing ever since because I just love it so much. It is, for those who don't know, it's a British publication. It's like 150 years old or something. And they talk about economics, of course, but also politics and international relations, science, literature, all sorts of things. And it's a weekly magazine. And they talk about things all over the world. And the, the articles are pretty short but not so short to be stupid. You know, they're, they're really thoughtful, informative pieces. Um, and they often are pretty funny too. They, they, their captions are hilarious. They have great graphics. I just legitimately enjoy it. And it's nice because I, it's the only thing I subscribe to in paper. And I just like to have it in front of me when I eat my breakfast and leaf through it. And I get a lot of joy out of it. And what's really funny is that sometimes my kids pick it up and read it too. And it's not all appropriate for kids, that's for sure. But, <laughs> but, but occasionally, but there are some good stories. At any rate, my, um, my eight-year-old likes to pick it up and read it for his, for his reading time. He doesn't get very far into it, but there's something about it that has just captivated his, his uh, imagination. The other day he said to me, Mommy, do they make an economist for kids? And I said, 
<gasps> no, I don't. I don't think they do. And he said they should, oh. but it probably wouldn't sell very well. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was adorable oh, because that. it was like his desire, but also his recognition that it would not no. be very popular. <laughs> I love that. So at won't. any rate, that's 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 my that's my recommendation. If you if you're looking for one thing to have in print. They also do great podcasts and their 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 social media stuff is great. But if you're looking for one thing in print, it's just has enough variety. It's really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great recommendation because it is so nice to just, you know, to still have um, like magazines around the house and things like that. And I think especially uh, if you have kids, like it's just like having books around the house. It's just sort of like having these things there. Like you have yeah. sort of this serendipity aspect to it um, that yeah. you never do in, in sort of online spheres where it's just like things are lying around. You pick something up. And so that's great to have that recommendation. I was also going to add mm-hmm. that they do they have like many podcasts. Um, yeah. And they're all really good. Uh, I was just listening to it today. It was really good. Yeah, they also do, if you are a subscriber, they also do like events where they'll have like panels and stuff that you can listen into. So it's, they do a lot of neat things. I also wanted to note that um, I think they're a good illustration about how our perception of bias changes um, based on the politics of the day. Because when I first started receiving it, I think it was generally considered sort of center right. And I think these days, because a lot of our American politics has shifted rightward, it's maybe considered more center left, but it's still pretty center. And a lot of the things I agree with, some of the things I don't, it's it's a good sort of pretty middle of the road place if you're looking for some place to start. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Julia, again for, for joining me. And I highly encourage everybody to uh, to follow you. Is uh, Can you share your, your Instagram handle if, you, if you'd like to welcome people to that platform? Yeah. On Instagram, I'm um, at Julie V. Walsh. And my blog is um, thesewallsblog.com. And my podcast is called More Than Politics. That's great. And we will be staying tuned for, you know, this this new new creative evolution as you think through these things. So Yeah, if everybody can stay healthy for a little yeah, while. Yeah, so we'll we'll we'll, get we'll, there. we'll pray and hope for that for that first um as you yeah. enjoy your new kittens and Thanks. Yeah, we added two new kittens in the middle of the flu. So yeah, that was great. Well, you know, <laughs> it's just 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 bring That's it all on, you know. Great. I love it. So <laughs> All right. Thank you, thank Julie. You, Katie. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Julie. I certainly enjoyed talking with her. Uh, and I just, I, I think that we've we've got to get better at talking about these kind of things. We've got to get better at uh, preferencing uh, the human person over everything else. So I think that that's what the incarnation is all about. It is a celebration of humanity. It is the redemption of humanity. So uh, let's let's bring that attitude into Christmas this year. So I did just want to wish you all again a very, very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and I will talk to you soon. And as promised, uh, here are some some lovely Christmas carols. Thank you so much, Chris, for, uh, for, for playing them for us. We have Green Sleeves and then O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So... Merry Christmas, happy holidays. I hope it's a great one. This is Katie Marquette, and you've been listening to Born of Wonder.
there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>